Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In honor of the 73rd annual DGA Awards, we're bringing back our annual series of episodes devoted to our popular Meet the Nominees Theatrical Feature Film Symposium. The event, which celebrated its 30th anniversary this year, is a roundtable discussion with the directors nominated for the Guild's Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Theatrical Feature Film. This year's nominees include Lee Isaac Chung, the director of Minari, Emerald Fennell, the director of Promising Young Woman, David Fincher, the director of Mank, Aaron Sorkin, the director of The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and Chloe Zhao, the director of Nomadland. These talented directors gathered on April 10th to discuss the craft of directing and the making of their films with moderator Jeremy Kagan in front of a virtual audience. So please enjoy part two of our Meet the Nominees special and listen to the five nominees share their thoughts on actors, tailoring the right approach to an actor's working style, the importance of establishing confidence in their key collaborators, and readjusting performance to fit the film. Let's talk about um, redirection. Um, and, 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 Em, I'm going to ask you first again, if you don't mind, um, in terms of when you had to or when you wanted to um, give a note to your actor. Um, what would you do? How would you get that performance changed if you needed to? Now, look, I mean, obviously you're working with some absolutely wonderful actors in your, your movie. Um, so that may not have been a problem, but there may have been adjustments. And because that's something that we all face as directors, um, how to adjust the performance so it becomes what it is that we think is going to be the most honest and powerful um, we need to be able to uh, deal with this. So for M, if there are any specifics that you remember where you needed to readjust and how you did it. I mean, it, it, I think it really depends on the actor you're working with because they all respond pretty differently to different kind of leads. But we firstly carry who is in kind of 90% of the movie is so intuitive that it's kind of, she needs very little Often it was just a matter of pushing, pushing her to do kind of more in funny ways. She's so naturally, um, understated and, um, but really usually I think if, if you want something, it's not, it's not necessarily a performance thing. It's usually the kind of psychology, like what, why are you asking the thing that you're asking as a director? What, why do you need that thing? So the moment that I'm, thinking of specifically is in the first time we see the first time Cassie is taken home by this guy called Jerry played by Adam Brody it was really important to me that he wasn't skeezy which obviously is kind of a slight contradiction when he's trying to produce a chronically drunk woman but it was important that it felt like a romance from his side so you know all of the direction there was kind of counterintuitive it was like be gentle, be tender. The more tender you are, the more you think that this is romantic, the more you believe when you kiss her, it's the most romantic kiss in the world. That's what makes this scene chilling. Not chilling if you're just a skis getting your end away however you can. And, and I think for me, it's always about what's that, what do we think we're doing? As, as much as what are we doing? What do we think we're doing? If we think we're a hero and that goes against what's happening in the script, play the hero. You know, that, that's usually what 
Um, and it's given permission as well, I think partly just more generally for people to pick up. I like, I usually will want a cake that is just, uh, not playful, playful, so right, but kind of, you know, somebody needs to like kick over some, there's, there was a bit that happened in rehearsal that sadly we, we didn't catch, but there's a scene where, uh, the character of Ryan, who's played by Bo Burnham, is sort of, you know, uh, for the first time in his life, sort of contradicted or caught doing something. And Bo instinctively, I sort of said, I, I think something along the lines of, you're a little boy. You know, you've just been, you've just been scolded and you're a little boy. Like, what are you going to do? And just, <laughs> this grown man in a doctor's jacket, he's during, in the middle of the scene when he didn't get what he wanted, he just kicked, he just kicked his desk, like in the most gloriously petulant way. And actually it was, in the end, it was too much. But that's the kind of thing you want. You want the moments where you let yourself, I want to see the moments where we let ourselves down. And we are transparent and we are kind of pathetic. That's what I suppose I'm interested in. Or certainly I was interested in this film. So it's, it, it, actors want to be sexy. They want to be villainous. <laughs> but in a, in a specific way, they don't want to be weak and needy and all of the things that, that we are really. So it's, it's getting everyone to be comfortable enough to be their most pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, 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 at being an actress yourself and having been directed, and the question then becomes, what's effective? And of course, everybody's different, so you're going to use different language and different intentions depending on where, how you're going to do this. But um, sometimes, the, the, if, if you're asking to be pathetic, a result may may be exaggerated and not happen. So I don't think that's what you're speaking to. No, so absolutely not. So I think the thing is, is that well, it's it's sort of again what Isaac said about. Eat the, eat the food. If, if I know what I want is someone to be pathetic, what then the direction is, is play the romantic hero here. Do the, do the sexiest, tenderest kiss. Because don't worry about the fact that she's not as that she's doing nothing. The more you, but the more that kiss is romantic in your head the more repellent it is to us but there's an interesting thing and i really want you to talk to this for a second because do you want your actor to know that by what he or she's doing it's going to have this result meaning it's going to be pathetic and, and repulsive or do you want the actor to only commit to the idea which is you know romancer um and so i'm um, you know the awareness level of an actor in terms of the effect it's going to have on, quote, an audience versus the awareness level of an actor in the midst of a scene doing something as the character they're playing. That's sort of why I'm exploring this. Yeah, I see. No, I mean, I'm not trying to trick anyone. You know, they, they, these people know who they're playing. It's just, I think, it, but often actor, you know, often actors rightly are very... You know, they're looking at the text and they're looking and they know, you know, they know more than the character knows always. And so it's trying to get them back to the place of being the person. It's trying to get them back to where the audience is. You know, if we don't, we don't know anything. Yet. We don't know who this person is. So you, you're, what I'm always trying to do is take the context away from the actor, not by kind of misleading them, but by saying, don't forget here. 
But in this moment, you, you're good. You think you're a good person. You're not playing. You're not playing with it. You're, it's, it's sort of that thing. I would never deliberately at least try and kind of with someone to get. Got it. But, but the, the, the issue of, of sort of playing, and, and this happens in, in, in uh, a couple of the, uh, the movies we're seeing here, um, the issue of playing drunk um, and, and how drunk. Um, uh, how did you and Carrie um, get to, and obviously she's playing drunk at certain times, but what was the either rehearsal process, if you had one, um, or you know, the discussion process that got you what you wanted there? Well, I think the first thing, again, it's, it's such an unusual thing because Carrie, um, she was really nervous about it because I think it is famously something that can be so bogus so quickly. But the great thing is, is that Cassie is pretending. She's so, so it doesn't matter if it feels phony, which I think gave her a bit of freedom. It may, it meant that she didn't have to be quite so meticulous because actually underneath everything, she is completely sober. And so that kind of, I think, gives her some power to, you know, to be a little bit more, I don't know, messy than I think would be character would be. But Alison Brie, uh, who plays Madison, and she's, you know, it's, she's just brilliant. But it's also just about the context too. It's about making sure that she's got a red wine now. You know, it's, it's little things that you, those kind of details that sort of make it really help you when you're an actor when you, when you kind of, um, yeah, you can kind of taste it and it's really good. Yeah. When you when she knocks down that glass of wine, um, can, do you remember how that uh, evolved? And because that is sort of a, an expression of because we some of us have been there at a certain point. You do knock down the glass of wine because you are that inebriated. Um, can you talk about that process of that scene? Yes, I mean it, it's sort of quite difficult stuff like that because of course it is fairly thudding visual metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> the red spilling over, but so it kind of had to be very specifically placed. And I remember because we only had two tablecloths, just like a quite tight budget. Um, and so, uh, you know, you just it, again, it's, well, it's, it's kind of what Aaron said don't anticipate that it's going to go a certain place, just, just do a big gesture. And if you hit the one this time, great. If you don't, you know, we'll, we'll do it again. I, I mean, it's so it's so difficult. These kind of conversations are so complicated because I think so much of you conflates what you wish you'd done, the kind of director you hope you are, and the actual truth. And I'm not sure, you know, when it comes to like being precise about those particular moments, I'm never quite sure exactly how it was done. Got it. Do you remember the scene with uh, how the Alfred Molina scene was done? Is the scene with the lawyer uh, who is asking for forgiveness. I mean, that seems to be what the scene is, and it, and it, I found it uh, quite remarkable. And I'm interested if you remember um, if you needed to do anything with these two fine actors, what adjustments you may or may not have gotten, including the physicality, because there's a real physicality. I mean, and I don't know if that was written in the script that he's going to get on his knees and he's going to almost put his head in her lap, or whether that evolved in rehearsal. But if you remember, share it with us. Yeah, so I think, well, actually, that was probably the most, you know, like, allegorical scene of the whole film and the most sort of overtly biblical, maybe. And so the thing I did do with Alfred and, and Carrie was I showed them Michelangelo's Pieta uh, at the beginning and said, I need you to get here at the end. And they both kind of said, 
for you. (laughs) It's so counterintuitive. No actor wants to get it. It's so much. It's so kind of overblown and overwrought. But the scene, this is a scene about two people who are mad, who who have gone mad on different sides of the same, you know, in the same kind of way. So feel kind of over the top in a way but the thing that I think was helpful was that he's frightening he's physically an imposing person again we as an audience don't know what he's going to do and she doesn't know it was important that we felt that we felt him getting closer to her and that part of the forgiveness that she gives him is that she's disgusted by his proximity but she needs him to get away from her and and his groveling is so kind of touching but also repellent that it it's you know it didn't I didn't feel like I was gonna I didn't feel like we were gonna get to place forgiveness with them sitting kind of politely apart from each other. So um, would you would you have rehearsed this scene um before you started shooting it and would you have also said literally in terms of technically that I'm uh, obviously showing Mike and Angela piece they are together of course uh, Christ and his mom uh, would you have um, literally sort of said, I want you to do, and again, it's, we're, we're delving into the specific, if you can, and if you remember, just because that we're learning from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we, we very rarely rehearse. We very, you know, except, you know, a couple of times we didn't really have time. But this, it took a while to make that feel. For every, for I think everyone to kind of get on the same page as to why it was happening. And that the discomfort was kind of crucial rather than sometimes you find with actors, they, they feel uncomfortable when they don't want to produce, not because it's not right, but just because they don't want to do it. And you're always trying to work out like, are they trying to protect themselves or are they right? You know, you kind of have to make that thing sometimes. And, but I knew with this, in this case, what I needed and it, it, we needed to pass it a few times so that they kind of understood. Not that it ever felt comfortable. But that they understood what it was for. Um, and so, yes, that, that was kind of probably the most rehearsed. Got it. And the physical action itself, did you say to them or, or to Alfred, Alfred, I want you to get on your knees and put your hand on Oh, them. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I showed so them. So it's very specific. Very specific. I showed them the picture. I said, you need to be on your knees. You need to be begging for forgiveness in every conceivable way. Did you say a word like, because sometimes when we're talking about this process, we talk about, you know, active verbs and acting teachers teach that, et cetera. Did you say something like to her, push him away? Or, or would you, what would, what kind of language might you use? I wouldn't probably have been that prescriptive about the actual action. Usually it's like the note in a scene like that would probably be like, what if he's going to hurt you? Like how big he is. Like how close he's getting. What if when he touches you, what's he going to do? I think that's the thing. Again, it's that like always remembering that, you know, what are you doing when you're a young woman in a strange man's house and he's not well and you know all the things you know about the way that the dynamics between men and women work. It's trying to get, it's that stuff. I'm not generally a person who would go in and say that I'd want, I'd want to remind someone why they would be frightened. Got it. The given circumstances of, of this, this scene and presence, like, like Chloe was talking about earlier. Um, David, 
Um, you also had to deal with uh, character uh, and characters, but one character being drunk um, and that issue. What did you the, to uh, discover? How did you discover the varying? Um, I had Gary Oldman. So I, 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 we, we talked about, you know, talked about his, the degree of sloppiness. Obviously Herman was, you know, he had vomited at people's homes before. So, um, he had, he's taken inebriation and his comfort, uh, in it, um, to levels that, uh, very few of us have, have experienced before. Um, but but you know the 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 biggest thing was to make make sure that in all of this that the writer comes through right because as inebriated as Herman gets he's making a point and he is and so that you know you, you you're you're adjusting the elocution so that you can make sure that you can still hear his reason for rising and getting everyone's attention it was a degree, uh, I mean, you know, we, again, I shot a few takes, so we would kind of dial it back in and I would say, you know, this is wonderful what's happening over here, but right in here, I can't hear where you're saying. So, and he would, okay, okay, okay. And that was, that was really it, you know, he's had some experience with this. And so he, he knew to the, you know, he, he could kind of, he could modulate it and say, um, this is half a bottle of vodka in? It was like, yeah. It was like, okay. When you say, for example, that last scene which uh, uh, around the table where it yeah, yeah. essentially tells the, um, the, yeah. the, the story, um, I don't know if that's his most excessive one, but because of what you just said and because we you do uh, do a lot of takes and uh, have explained why, which makes sense, yeah. it's a style that gets the yeah. actor almost into a, a habit of uh, release in a way. And the, the question here is, were you able to do that with this or did, because it is a sort of a excessive performance moment? Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't change it up. I, did, I didn't ch change it up. You know, it, 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 in the end, we shot that scene for four days. And so there's probably... 32 camera setups and we probably did some in the neighborhood of 12 to 16 takes per setup. It was a good, almost a, a good part of a week. So, you know, the, in the end, you know, and, and, and I think that the, the, the aspect of the takes thing becomes, you know, front and center. It's really for my money, how quickly you get to the next take and how quickly you can uh, dispense with thoughts and musings on what it is that you've just seen. So what I really sort of resist is this idea of um, the actor now going and processing it. You know, that's why I don't like slates. I don't, I don't like putting something on somebody's face and making noise. I just want to go. And so we will do a nine minute take and then his shirt will get tucked in and his tie and his hair will be combed and he'll sit back down and we're rolling you know, eight seconds later and starting all over again. So might, that, have, might have you in that moment of his shirt going in, given him, or what would you, if you did give him any adjustment between I mean, those? They, they, they would be, it would be myriad. It would be, it could be, you know, 15, 20 things. I could, I, I, I might walk in 
and walk him back to his chair and say, the beginning third is re really good. Remember that you're saying this, this is just between you and Louis. You were saying this just as, you know, a stick for him. Don't look at Charles for, for until you get to this. You're, you're auditioning this idea. It's still, you're not quite comfortable in it. This is more about Louis. See Marion, you know, be in that moment, have some, you know, and I'll give him, I, I I like doing this. I like to inundate actors with a lot of things to think about and then quickly just go again so that they are not reeling. Um, it's just, you know, I find that the things that when people recognize something that they go, oh, I would like to take ownership of that, it sticks. And the stuff that they go, oh, my God, this is such bullshit, you know, that <laughs> tends, to, tends to fall off the edge of the table. By the way, when you're shooting, um, uh, are there times where you will not cut or or just keep the camera rolling? Um, so that obviously in digital it isn't expensive unless you're shooting film. Um, will you, because of the repeatedness, just keep yeah. uh, you know, without without even saying yeah. that? There, there, there's a famous technique that um, Frank Capra used to use, and it, and it was because he was only allowed to print two takes, and um, so he used to do this thing where he would keep the cameras rolling and say, okay start over and everybody would go and and this is the way that he could get four or five tape over the two yeah. that he was allowed to print and what he found was that it immediately hyped the actors immediately like the energy level rose because nobody wanted to be caught out with their stuff not in the right pocket and going in in and out of the door and making sure you have your coat over your that there was this um an energizing technique it was a, it was the panic ended up being kind of this in, in a weird way the style of the 30s was like you know this like say your lines don't knock over the furniture let's you know circle that one move on and right. and and it's it's interesting how that i don't find that it's that technique of all right let's go again keep it rolling everybody back to one um i don't find that to work usually for the first third because you do get these sort of elevated anxiety of people washing you know rushing through the door like you know there's a fire in the next room but you know by the time you get to the end this is all um this is all psychology and all of your 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 palette will change depending on the um, personality types that you're dealing with. There are certain people, certain actors can hear, yeah, 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 that was all, but I'm really only interested in this. And they can focus on that. And they, and sometimes, I mean, it, and, and to Emerald's point, it, it's not about deceiving them, but it's about knowing what their threshold is for um, new thoughts on subtext or new thoughts on, and you can inundate people and people do go into vapor lock. And, and so you, you don't want that. But, and I have found, you know, a, a very useful, not trick, but a useful technique is if you really want an actor to focus on this one little moment in the text and you draw their attention to it, you may be doing yourself a disservice because it may it, it that may be the cause of their sort of creative constipation is that there's too much. So I find often you can, if you really, really want to get the end right, 
give them 12 notes about the first three lines. And once they get through those first three lines, there's like this sort of like release. And then you find that the middle and the end just, you know, are like water off the back of a duck and you just go, great, we're moving on. And I don't recommend that you do that. Chloe, let me ask you. Thank you, David. In terms of getting Fran to do, um, there are a number of wonderful moments, obviously, um, where she is listening and responding. Um, and I'm interested in the conversations that you uh, had uh, with her about particular ones, um, either where you need, you either quote, rehearse them or how would you readjust if you wanted Fran to do something different? You know, the, I have learned the word final check. Uh, in a hard way, <laughs> that that word really, well, I, I still have nightmares about it because it, I think what David was saying earlier about having a, you know, give your notes, but as quick as you can get back into it before they start to, and then sometimes you get them there and then the final check comes in. And when there's a lot and then you, you, you go, oh man, like, cause they're completely now aware, you know, that obviously that's not what I did on Nomadland, but I, it's just something that I've learned. So, so, so I guess as, as little as that is possible, whether you're in the middle of nowhere or on a stage, that you could keep the, the actor be in their body than, than aware of things, you know? So I, 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 um, I know that a lot of people asked David about the makeup for, for, uh, um, um, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and, well, and I, I really, yeah, I really glad you didn't do that because, um, because Gar Gary, you know, because there's something about, yeah, I, I, I'm not getting into it. And, and so with Fran is that we wanted nothing between her and the camera. Um, and when I did, when we had the ability to work that way, my work is half, more than half, like 80% done because she is present in this moment. She's listening and the camera, the lens is very sharp and it's very close to her face. We're going to capture and also amplify it as much as emotion she give us as possible. Um, and um, um, occasionally with friend, really, just about going in and, and go 50, give me like four different options, 25%, 50, and 75. And she would do those like a pearl and would decide. That's my, favorite. That's my favorite direction. You go to an actor and you say, just 11% less. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, Things like Fran's looking at those photographs, of, which I assume of her past, which we don't really know. Um, yeah. What did you discuss with her? Um, and and uh, you know, what did, did she know? Uh, obviously, who these people were that she's looking at, and what uh, what you you wanted her to respond to just by looking at them. I'm I'm interested in in something like that in terms of your if you needed to adjust her performance or how you just. Got in conversation about how she's going to look at her past. No, not so much. Um, I again, w when you set up the situation, also a lot of that is like where she is, what's the lighting like, what's the time of day, where's the camera, you know, all that to me is equally as important as adjusting the actor in that moment because the audience is going to have to feel that, you know, is that and uh, through a small frame. And and I, um, a lot of my attention goes into these things. And then uh, again, it was very important for me to have uh, an actor that fits the roles perfectly. I, I think my hands might be a little tight if I'm miscast, um, because I'm not that type of, uh, I, I would love to do theater just to learn, 
I would love to direct a play just to learn how to rehearse, how to work with actors in that way um, to, to get better. But that's not, I, naturally, I'm not like that. So I really expect whether my non-actors or a professional actor to come in having done their ho- own homework and done their own exploration and then just show me. And then if the, if it's so off, I will make adjustments. But and I find that with the right. Were there any moments in this when for you, that you remember where it quote was so off and you did have to make an adjustment? Um, uh, yeah, there there are definitely a, a few times, but then you you sort of go in there and you you you, you go just try try something completely different. Sometimes I would even just give that direction. Just try something completely different. Show me what else you got, and not not with the non professional actors. <laughs> they look at me like, "What do you want me to do?" <laughs> okay. Just try something different. Or like again, it's like less. Just even less. Um, again, oh, I'm matching as well. I'm matching the two different uh, school of, act, you know, different with matching someone just being themselves and then someone com- uh, coming from a different school of performance. And less, less, uh, how, how about nothing? Give me nothing. Uh, and then see, see how that is. And, and, uh, um, occasionally I'll get nothing, but nothing. And then, <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Uh, it's, but again, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure until I'm in the editor. Got it. And you're, and you're editing all the time. But here's the when you had David and, and, and Fran working together, now these are two very, very experienced actors, and yet you want the style of their performance to equal the style of all of your non-professionals. What, for example, in their scenes, what did you three talk about or discuss or do in order to get that similar reality? The three of us knew we had to do extra work in order to match. Um, so, um, uh, we would, uh, occasionally I would tell them to throw the script out, um, or, or like do it at the end. Like I eventually get into it, just start doing, just talk about stuff. I don't even tell them what it is. It's just someone say something. <laughs> and then they just start to talk and then occasionally, and they're pros, you know, occasionally they would sneak a line in and then start it, start. It does help, you know, and they, they help each other out as well in that way, you know, when, when the trust is built from the beginning and you know the goal is to become as naturalistic and it doesn't feel like things are too written because of what a non-professional actor is going to do. The effort is made towards that and, and they they provoke each other as well. They try to get each other there. So that was Did they ever sort of talk to you about, I don't know if I can do that um or was that ever a i can i see for fran it wasn't but i'm just curious for david did he ever say wait a minute where do you want me here in terms of the performance i'm going to give or what kind of conversation did he have with that with you oh yeah no not, neither of them ever said like oh i can't do that because it's, it's really about i think it's about doing less um so you can definitely do less you know sometimes you might not be able to do more but do less is uh, and, and occasionally, I mean, with David is never an issue, but with Fran, we, we, we have to look up for a boundary because so much of her personal life is in this film. And she would actually say, have said, there's a lot more of my personal life in here that you don't even know that I have to, you know, that's, that's, that's in there that she gave to the film. Um, and, um, and I think for me and her is to find that, find that balance to make sure she's not too vulnerable exposed. Because one thing I have learned, so much from friend about, and I, I really have to keep learning this, is that for actors, they, they, they do need some security. They, they do need, you know, they didn't, it's not like the non-professional actor who choose to, I want to share my life with you. 
you know, they, 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 the reason why they want to put on the costume, do something, sometimes they don't want to share themselves on screen. And I'm fully expecting them to because I've only worked with the other way. So I have to learn how to make the professional actor willing to give me what I want to a certain degree, but also knowing that I can trust them to not have to open themselves up that like that still give me the same performance. That trust I still, I, I'm building, you know, because I, I, I was like, no, you got to give me you. But now that's not always true. I have learned. Oh, wow. Isaac, for you, uh, readjusting, particularly dealing with the kids. Thank you, Chloe. Um, uh, what, what and how would you uh, um, readjust and get performance? So when we saw that example, obviously, with the chest, but uh, speak, speak to that in terms of, uh, of other examples where if you needed to readjust what you would do and maybe both with adults and the kids, but particularly with the kids because of, the, I think, the remarkable performances that you, you got. So how would you adjust? Thanks. It, it it really depended scene by scene. So each scene had a different approach and different strategy. Um, I mean, there there were moments, I think it's kind of similar to what Chloe's saying, because they are first time actors, these kids. Um, so a lot of times with them, I'm just looking for the most authentic uh, part of themselves that they can bring within any given moment. Um, for, for instance, one of the key scenes is them reacting to the parents fighting. Um, and I, I noticed that, you know, they're throwing paper airplanes in that scene. So they just started to have a really good time with it. Um, uh, because, you know, kids throwing paper airplanes, they're going to start to smile. And that was kind of wrecking the, the reaction shots. Uh, and I, I remember for that one, I, I did have to be very stern and start to put on a whole different face with them. Um, that was on, on a more intimidating level, I guess. And, um, so, so there are moments that I have to create that atmosphere. Um, I, that makes me sound like a tyrant. I mean, there are other moments that that aren't like that. You know, um, if, if, if moments of fun, we try to make sure that the set is fun and that, um, they're going to have a good time in a certain moment. Um, so I felt like that environmental element was really important. Um, but there are also a lot of scenes where these kids were just phenomenal without much direction at all, in which they just knew what they're, they needed to do. So I don't want to make it seem like it's all smoke and mirrors and that I'm just tricking them the whole time. Uh, but, you know, they, they're, they're really talented kids. Um, with the adults, it's it's more or less, uh, I mean, uh, everybody has said it already, like it's everybody is different. And uh, I find the rehearsal process to be important to and how figure do you, out to learn. How do you use a rehearsal process? Um, I, I try not to, I try to make sure to talk throughout it. So that I, I create some kind of, I don't let them fully get into the scene so that part of it, they're still working it out mentally. That, that's what I tend to do. And so I try to make it a little bit, um, you know, I don't get quiet and let them do it. I, I just say, yes, okay, okay. And I, I talk through it um, so that I can try to preserve when the cameras are rolling that first time that they're doing it. And I notice each actor has a very different thing that helps them if I need to make adjustments. Um, often it's, it's great and they're, they're, there's not much of an adjustment to be made and it might be just a technical thing. I try to let them know quickly if it's only a technical issue that we need to resolve. And I try to let them know so that they, um, they can stay within the comfort and confidence of what they've just done. Um, okay. But if something needs to be adjusted, then it, it's really according to them. Like for, for Yoon Ya-jung, uh, the, who plays the grandmother, um, 
she doesn't like to talk about motivations and she doesn't like to talk about psychology and all that. She'll just say, you know, are you asking me to just be quieter? And I say, yeah. She said, okay, just tell me to be quieter. And, and she'll do it. She'll nail it. And she's really great at it. And then other, there'll be other actors who want to go into the reasoning. Like, what is the reason why I'm being quieter? You know, what? So, um, I, I just try to meet them where they are. Got it. In the things, scenes like that, I'm going to move on a little bit to camera. Um, but, but in the scene where there's the fight between, uh, literally you film, film one of the fights between the husband and wife. Um, and in fact, your camera, um, you know, goes back and forth between the two of them, two of them. Um, the performance moment of getting those two actors to be where you wanted them to be. Uh, do you remember any adjustments that you made with them to in that particular uh, scene? That that one, there wasn't too much to, I mean, we, I remember having to make sure that the set is completely focused for that day and that uh, I, I could see how much preparation the actors were doing with, with that one. So even like final checks and all that stuff, we, we definitely pared down as much as possible and we made sure to clear the set more with that scene uh, just to give them the concentration. I, I don't remember too many adjustments with that scene in itself. I, it was really with the kids, um, but the two adults, I, I was afraid that they're going to lose their voices because uh, I, I kind of told them this is a scene in which you're really not holding anything back. So I knew we couldn't do too many takes and they, they lost their voices with that scene. Let me ask you one more performance thing. And then I want to talk about camera. Um, the performance thing is uh, shot on grandma, her last shot. Um, do you remember what you said? She says, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, so that one was great because, uh, we, we all set it up and I wasn't talking to, to YJ much about that scene. Uh, but right before the cameras rolled, I just went up to her and I said, you know, I, I just need something mysterious. And we, we shot it and, uh, and she did the exact look, everything just as you see it. And then as soon as I said cut, she just turned to me and said, mysterious enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was great. Did you, did you just coming off of what Evan said earlier about you know the sort of the thinking about what's going on? Did you ever did you after ever, ever ask her what wasn't the mysterious for you, or did, did, you, did you ever find out? Uh, I never found out. I mean, we we talked about the scene a little bit. She she only asked me once, like, "Do you want me to cry in in it?" And I said, "I don't. I don't think. I think that would be too much." And so that was the only kind of note we had during the script phase because during the script phase we kind of talked about uh different moments so she had notes on that scene i knew she was preparing for it and i just added that one note right then you know it's interesting though because if in that scene her her eyes are wet by the time you cut yeah so um (laughs) so um clearly she didn't take your direction she did mysterious well she didn't i mean that's the thing she didn't ever let it come down which is i know no i I, I did a hell of a job with that that no, she still got what she wanted, and I got what I wanted. So. <laughs> no question about it. It's quite it's a great moment in the movie. And um, I want to talk a little bit about camera with you. Um, there's a, a wonderful shot where it's pretty much in introducing all the characters in the courtroom. It almost goes a sort of 180 degrees. I think it starts on Ferran and Schultz, and then moves through the table to sort of reveal all of the all of your defendants. And I'm interested. 
because I know that because you've spoken to this about this, the, you know, learning how to figure out how to shoot a, a with camera or cameras, um, sort of an action scene. But setting something like that up, um, do you remember? Was this something that you preconceived? Something that you talked with uh, with your camera person about? Speak to how you were working with camera, like that shot specifically. <laughs> yeah, that shot specifically. Um, it, it's we're being introduced to the courtroom. Uh, uh, and, and, and it's participant. And, uh, I, I had staged most of it on a piece of paper, um, and staged a little bit more of it, uh, when we got into the courtroom, uh, on the day. Uh, basically, I, I, I wanted, I wanted to see how long I, I, I could do a continuous shot. So it was a matter of, Starting on J.C. McKenzie, who was uh, playing Joseph Gordon-Levitt's boss, he's just sitting there. Everybody's waiting for the trial to start. Everybody's waiting for you know the all rise moment. I, he leaves the frame, revealing uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, uh, he stands up, and from there, the camera is able to move to Fred Hampton uh, and his guys coming down, or move along the defendants. Um, you know, I decided the moment where, okay, we can sort of release from this shot, uh, uh now and, uh, and move on. Uh, but that was a choreographed move. You know, I wanted, if you don't mind, yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to, I know you wanted to move on to camera, but I, I, I just wanted to ad- address giving adjustments please, uh, please. to actors because please. I, I once had a very bad experience, uh, that, that I try to learn from. Uh, and I wasn't the director of the film. I, I'd written the film. I was working with another director. We were in rehearsal and uh, the director had called a meeting. He wanted to meet with an actor uh, uh, before the morning's rehearsal and he wanted me there. And first of all, it was already a, a powder keg that was set to explode at some point because this actor through a bizarre set of circumstances, was aware that he was not my first choice uh, for the role. So he went into that uh, kind of wary uh, of me. And we had this meeting. The director said what he wanted to say, then turned to me uh, and he said, Aaron, you want to add something? And so I, I just wanted to add, wanted to add something very simple. Uh, it, it, in so many roles, confidence is incredibly important. Um, uh, you know, the actor being, being confident, being able to really own the ground, uh, under their feet, uh, is incredibly important. And so I, and it was as it was, uh, with this role. Um, and what I said was, this guy's a movie star. I think what the actor heard me say was, I wish we had a movie star playing this role. And the actor tore up the rehearsal room, literally, uh, uh, pulled things off the wall, smashed them. Um, uh, and it, it, it was nightmarish. And I never want another experience where I, where I lose the actor. Um, I don't want anyone locking themselves in their trailer, um, or, uh, or, you know, just kind of closing themselves up uh, on the set 
uh, because in trying to give them confidence, I've taken away all their confidence. Um, so I'm, I'm careful about, uh, the way I give notes. Got it. Got it. Got it. Would you say, Aaron, that when you're saying that, that, that the note is more encouraging if it's, even if you want something changed as distinguished from critical? I'm, I'm using words. I would say, first of all, the more specific the note can be, uh, uh, the better. Second, you have to make sure that you're not asking the actor to do something that they can't do, uh, uh, that you're not asking them to speak a foreign language. You know, be funnier is a bad note. Um, <laughs> I, Agreed. <laughs> right? So it's, again, you, you want to be giving them confidence, um, uh, and if you can give them something specific, you'll also, you know, you learn. Uh, actors are all different, uh, right? They all need and want a, a, a different thing, um, uh, and so you learn uh, uh, with with different actors. Here's what you say to this one. Here's what you say to this one. In, in this may also refer to both both performance as well as um, 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 camera. Um, there's a night sequence um, where I think you move past Abby um, and then pick up uh, Tom Aiden and Rennie as they're they're walking and you track back with it. Um, and it's a it's a big night setup because you've got a lot of people there. Do you remember? And this is also I think a one that that as I said uh, finds Abby and then discovers Tom and Rennie and moves back back with them. Do you remember setting that one up? Um, because that also you know lights night all the rest. Um, how did that one evolve? If you remember. Uh, sorry, I, I was saying that those scene, that scene that you're describing, that those were exciting nights. Uh, we, we shot those scenes in Chicago, in Grant Park, and on Michigan Avenue, uh, where they took place. Uh, and, uh, I remember choreographing them, uh, uh, and choreographing the camera moves always, uh, you know, in concert with Faden Pop and Michael RDP. And using that, um, I, I hate to be glib about this, but uh, because there was so much tear gas used, tear gas used in, in Chicago in 1968, it was a lucky break for me uh, because we got to use a lot of smoke, which looks nice when you shoot light through it, um, and uh, we got to use a, a few hundred extras to play thousands uh, of people uh, because I could. I could mask things with smoke. Yeah. Tear yeah. gas is often overlooked as something that can help. As a tool, of, uh, in yeah. filmmaking, <laughs> it, makes it, it makes it a lot easier. Remember this. I mean, oh. you say that now, David, but how yeah. many times did I ask you to get tear gas for the film? Tear gas. Imagine tear gas. We hope you enjoyed listening to part two of this exclusive discussion. You can watch the full video of the Theatrical Feature Film Symposium on our website at dga.org slash events. And be sure to download next week's episode, where our five Theatrical Feature Film nominees will conclude their conversation. Past episodes of The Director's Cut are available wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. 
Music is by Dan Wally. 